<laughs> well, good morning and welcome back, everyone. It is awesome to see some faces out here. Um, as Jeff said, my name is Steph Roller and I'm a part of the Grundy County campus and I also serve on our leadership board. And I am really excited that you asked me to teach in this series called Extraordinary because my favorite way to engage the Bible is just to plot myself right in the middle of someone's story and try to feel as if I were actually there. And this summer, we're spending time learning how God uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary things. And it is really cool how God does that all through the Bible, but also still today. But I have to tell you, I've had a little problem warming up to the premise of this series. And maybe you do too. Because it's just that, well, I never really said to myself, wow, I hope I grow up to be ordinary. When I was little, I imagined being someone amazing maybe a superhero with superpowers. And I could be special if I could just fly like Superman, or if I had an arc reactor in my chest like Iron Man, or what if I had Wonder Woman's lasso and I could make everyone tell the truth? Did you also play with action figures and think to yourself, if this were only me? The coolest action figure by far was this guy. Stretch Armstrong. This takes us back a few decades, doesn't it? I don't know how they made that toy, but I am sure that if I could have stretched like that, I would have been something extraordinary. And then when I got older, I began to really love action hero movies. I finally watched Captain Marvel just a few weeks ago, and I found myself once again thinking, wow, she's the baddest of all the Marvel heroes. How cool to be her. But as I was falling asleep that night, I realized that it's not necessarily the superpower that I'm longing for. Although I'm not gonna lie, wouldn't it be so cool to fly? But the reason I love those movies is that the extraordinary hero always saves the world. And if I'm really honest, I equate the word ordinary with unimportant, meaningless, or forgettable. At least that's what the world teaches us. But perhaps in God's kingdom, ordinary means something else altogether. So we're gonna plop right in the middle of a story about someone so ordinary that he doesn't even speak a single word in the whole Bible. Someone who most of us think of as a tag-along, an extra on the movie set. You might not have Stretch Armstrong in your home anymore, but I bet almost all of you have this guy. And I also bet that none of you ever picked him up and played with him and imagined, wow, if I were him, I would be special. I mean, look at that staff. This is Joseph, and he is from my nativity set at home. And so like many of you, each year I get out my set and I gladly place Mary and baby Joseph right in the middle. And then I place the cool magi with their gifts and the stable animals and the angels, the shepherds. And then I kind of put Joseph, you know, somewhere in the back. An onlooker to the main event. Ordinary. An extra. 
but he really was so much more. So let's dive into his story. And today, I'm gonna ask you to imagine as we go that you are right in the middle of it too. So just like when you played with those action figures as a kid, can you now imagine that you are Joseph? So let's start at the very beginning though, just a short review to get us up to speed. God created us, but he gave us free will so that it was and still is our choice to follow him or not. And we have made some bad choices. And when I say we, I mean me. I have made bad choices. And I have messed up my relationship with God. But he loved us so much that he wanted to rescue us and help us find our way back to him. So how could he do that and still give us the free will to choose him or not? Well, God decided the best way to begin this rescue mission was to be born as a human baby in the middle of one of the most notorious empires in the history of the world, the Roman Empire. An empire so intent on keeping power that it used fear as a means of ruling, including perfecting death by crucifixion. And God decided not to be born to the emperor or a general or somebody wealthy, or even a priest. He decided to pick an ordinary set of parents. So at this time in history, there are about 300 million people living in the world, and about 45 million of them live under the Roman Empire. And out of those 45 million, God chose a craftsman named Joseph to be his dad to protect him, love him, feed him, and provide for him in the middle of that very dangerous and broken world. Now, it's true that Joseph was really strong because he was a builder who worked with stone and lumber in a time before power tools. Can you imagine making every single cut by hand? But it wasn't his physical strength that made him extraordinary. Joseph's story is found at the beginning of Matthew and of Luke. So let's jump in in Matthew 1, 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You guys, we've just met Joseph, and I love him already. He is pledged to marry. That means they've already had a betrothal ceremony, and families have exchanged promises and gifts, and for all purposes, they are married, except they don't consummate the marriage or start a new household for about a year. So this is a very public relationship. If this were happening today, you would have already seen the engagement photos on Instagram. You would have already gotten a save to the date notice. Everyone knows they're together. And now Mary is pregnant, but it's not his. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. The woman he loves has betrayed him, and there is no way to keep it a secret. So, Joseph, what are you feeling? Maybe anger, jealousy, embarrassment, despair. 
we can easily imagine how he feels. And we can imagine what we would do in our anger and in our embarrassment. But what does Joseph do? Because he was a righteous man, which simply means he loved God and tried to honor and follow him, and because he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This ordinary guy who just wants to get married and have an ordinary life and whose whole world has just been blown apart does the most extraordinary thing. Because he loved God and because he wanted to treat Mary right, he thought to himself, I'll just quietly divorce her so she isn't shamed. Maybe she can go live with some relatives far away while she has the baby, whoever it belongs to. He could have had her publicly tried and stoned to death. The law would have allowed it. But Joseph's solution was one that allowed him to love God and treat Mary well. Years later, when Jesus was grown, someone asked him, Lord, what's the most important commandment? And many of you know this answer. He said, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. It seems to me that Joseph already knew that. So Matthew 1.20, but after he had considered this, considered what to do about Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Thank goodness Joseph didn't react out of emotions without thinking first. If he'd had Mary stoned, we'd be telling a very different story right now. No, it says he sat and considered what to do. So, how does a righteous man consider? He prays. We just finished a teaching series on prayer, and so we know that this prayer could have been a groan of despair or a plea for help, or it could have been just full of hot, angry tears. It could have been just sitting in silence in stunned disbelief. Whatever this prayer looked like, he got an answer. This baby is from the Holy Spirit. This baby is God's son. This baby is God. Whoa. At this point, I might have wanted to pull out my Wonder Woman lasso to see if this was the truth, but Joseph didn't need to. God sometimes chooses doubters to be part of his story. That is for sure. But for this very important rescue mission, the rescue mission that saved all of us. God chose someone who already knew him well, who wouldn't waste time having to be convinced every step of the way. Someone who loved God enough and his wife enough that he didn't care what anyone else thought. So Joseph took Mary home to be his wife. So now, the Roman government decides a census should be taken. Now here in the US, we're in a census year too. And today, 
This is super easy. You can fill out your census online in like five minutes, right? Do you know that only about half of US households have done that so far, even though it's super easy? But Joseph, ever the person to do what is right, loads up Mary, who is about to have a baby, and makes a 90-mile trip from Nazareth to their ancestral home in Bethlehem, where they're required to register. So dads, this is where you can easily imagine yourself in this story. Because remember, these are ordinary people, right? And if you have ever taken your very pregnant wife on a road trip, you know at least two things. One, she's hot, right? You can't have the air conditioning cold enough. I don't care what time of year it is. You put your winter coat on, she's still sweating. And two, you better have mapped out every single bathroom along the way because she has to pee all the time. So I don't know how long a 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem took, either by foot or by animal. I read a blog of a guy who did this trip once, but he didn't take his pregnant wife along, so I'm thinking that's just a false premise. But my best estimate is this, week takes a tr this trip takes a good week. And moms, I'm wondering, why did Mary even go on this trip? And I don't know for sure, but I can remember that towards the end of my first pregnancy, I hopped on a riding lawnmower hoping to induce labor. So maybe it's something like that. But however you imagine this trip, they made it. Which, um, they ended up in Bethlehem, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem. And you guys know the next part of the story, of course. Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. They stayed in that area for a while, and Joseph continued to follow the customs of his faith and to worship and honor God, as was his habit. And then a little while later, some wise man from an eastern country came to see Jesus, who they believed was born to be king of the Jews. King Herod found out and asked the Magi to report back to him when they found the baby. His plan, of course, is to kill Jesus. And as most of us remember, the Magi find Jesus, they worship him, they bring gifts, and they did not tell Herod where Jesus was. After they left, Joseph got direction from God again. And this happens in Matthew 2, 13 and 14. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Okay, you guys. Joseph gets up in the middle of the night and takes his family and leaves for another country. It's not clear exactly where they go in Egypt, but the trip could have been anywhere from 40 miles to a few hundred miles. Can you imagine this? There's no finishing up your job and collecting your paycheck. There's no saying goodbye to friends and family. There's not really time to prepare for a long trip by stocking up some provisions. Plus, Waking up your wife and baby in the middle of the night to say that you're leaving for another country, 
that's a recipe for disaster. But remember when I mentioned that it was important that God choose someone who really knew and trusted him already so that he wouldn't waste time having to be convinced every step of the way? This is one of those times. It's urgent for them to escape. Their very lives depend on it. Joseph had to rescue our rescuer from a very real danger. The Roman Empire was nothing to mess with. And when the angel told Joseph at the beginning, don't be afraid to bring Mary home and raise this baby, he wasn't just talking about fear of embarrassment. He was talking about real fear for their lives because Joseph would have been well aware of the risk of raising a child who would challenge the emperor. So how dangerous was Herod anyway? Well, in his frustration at losing Jesus, Herod murdered every baby boy under the age of two. After Herod died, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him it was time to return to Israel. But the angel warned him, warned him that Herod's son was now in charge. So instead of returning to Jerusalem, they went north to Galilee, back to the town where it all started, Nazareth. So Joseph went about the business of providing for his family, having some more kids, working as a builder, and continuing in his close relationship with God. In the eyes of the world, Joseph was just an ordinary guy who made a living with his hands and who loved a girl and had plans to get married and have a family. He could not fly. He did not have super strength and he was not rich. But when he joined with God's purpose, he became extraordinary. I mean, he didn't learn to fly or get superhero powers. But what Joseph had was the power of a deep faith and a close relationship with God. And he was thoughtful and kind and prayerful. He was consistent in worship. He loved and honored his wife and he protected his family. He set aside the life he had planned and instead joined a rescue mission where he literally helped save the world. Think about that the next time you put him at the back of your nativity. And even though he was an ordinary guy, he wasn't unimportant or meaningless to God. He was his dad. We don't get to hear a lot more about Joseph, and it seems he must have died before Jesus started ministry. But there is one final story involving him, and it's one of my favorites, because it makes me feel a lot better about my own parenting mistakes, and because for me, this story has some really profound truth. It's the time that Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, and it's in the second chapter of Luke. Now, I will admit, I have lost both of my boys at different times, and once I lost both of them at the same time. And most of my friends have stories about losing their kids too. But my most helpful story about lost kids is when I was the kid. 
So my parents had taken us to Florida, and I think I was about nine or 10 years old. My brother was a few years younger. We decided that we would walk down the beach to this big pier that went out into the ocean. And I don't know why, but we just assumed our parents knew where we were. I'm sure that hours went by and they could not find us. And my mom was thinking the worst things. We drowned in the ocean. We were eaten by sharks. We were taken. We were wandering around alone and lost and crying. But none of that was true. We knew exactly where we were. And finally, we just walked back to the hotel room. I'm pretty sure our motivation was dinner. So my parents saw us, and they had this look on their face I still will never forget. Like, they didn't know if they should hug us or kill us, or both at the same time. And can anyone guess what they said? Parents, you know exactly what they said. How could you do this to us? Never do something like that again. And there was no explanation on our part that was going to make this better. Their emotions were so powerful, they just couldn't hear anything else. But honestly, we kids were struggling with the whole thing because we were not lost. We knew exactly where we were, exactly what we were doing, and how to get home. Why didn't they just come find us down at the pier? Didn't they know that's where we were? I'm just sure that we told them. In Luke 2, starting in verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover because Joseph worships as a habit. It's a reason he is so trusting in God. They know each other. So the family makes this 90-mile trip in the company of friends and relatives in sort of a caravan, and everyone thinks someone else is watching Jesus. When they realize they're missing him, they had already traveled a day. So then they have to travel a whole day back and then spend three days trying to find him in Jerusalem because during festival, Jerusalem could have 200,000 people there. Parents, we all know what they were feeling and who can guess what Mary said when they found him? We've been worried sick about you. How could you do this to us? Don't ever do that again. And now is the stunning part of the story. Jesus answers, Luke 2, 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You guys, these are Jesus' first recorded words. Why were you searching for me? And I don't think these words are accidental. He asked his parents, and he's asking us today, why are you searching for me? I'm not lost, you are. 
I am right here. I'm not hiding from you. I'm right here in my father's house. And what did our quiet, ordinary Joseph do? He didn't leave Jesus in the temple. He took Jesus home. He took Jesus home. What if we finally realized that in the kingdom of God, extraordinary powers are things like kindness and trust and faith and love and putting other people first? What if we could see that those are the extraordinary powers that save the world? And what if we don't need an arc reactor in our chest to help us get those powers? What if what we need inside of us is Jesus? He's not hiding from you. He is right here in his Father's house. What's stopping you from taking him home? We all pray with me. God, I thank you so much for Joseph. Thanks for showing us what kind of superpowers it takes to be extraordinary in your eyes. But God, things like consistent worship and trust and faith, they're not always that easy. And things like kindness, putting other people first, those are even harder. So Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to realize that we need to put Jesus right in the middle of our chest? Help us to know that when ordinary people like us take him home, extraordinary things can happen. Thank you for this time together. And I pray that the rest of our worship this morning will be pleasing to you. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.